If you um, have a Bible with you, you'd like to turn to the book of Colossians and chapter 4. And at least for a little bit longer, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Um, that's a version of the Bible, a translation of the Bible that will be on the screen behind me. You might be reading from an NIV, and we might look at some of the similar, albeit slightly different words that are used as we get into the message today. We're going to start from verse 2, just read a few verses there, and get into what we're going to look at today. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, this might vary slightly according to what Bible you are now looking at. But in addition to the God-breathed-out scripture on the page, editors uh, of different translations sometimes put in little subheadings or titles. And most disappointingly, uh, this one is called Further Instructions, which does sound somewhat bland and kind of nondescript. It kind of sounds like, Okay, we've got to the end of the letter. We're, we're kind of coming in on the runway. We're almost, almost arrived at the conclusion of this letter. Here are a few random tidbits I'd like to throw in. I didn't manage to get them in earlier on in the main bulk of the letter, but, but here you go. That is obviously not the case. So further instructions, maybe that is a slightly unhelpful phrase. This is absolutely vital to the whole flow of Paul's writing, particularly from the beginning of chapter 3 onwards. And obviously we've been looking in Colossians for some time, and obviously been in chapter 3 for a little while. Chapter 3 begins, if then you've been raised with Christ. Or if you're reading in the NIV, since then you've been raised with Christ. Everything that follows on from that point is almost a continuation of that sentence. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Or, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Put to death, therefore, in verse 5. What is earthly in you? Or in verse 12. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness. More recently, we've been looking at a few passages, uh, a few verses uh, towards the end of chapter 3 where Paul has started to address particular individuals or particular groups in the church. So he's been speaking to wives and husbands. You know, since then, you've been raised with Christ. This is how you are to live. Uh, this is how Christ would have you uh, conduct your marriage. Or children, fathers, parents, slaves and masters. This is what it means for Christ to be Lord of, the li- of your life. This is what it means that you've been raised with Christ, joined with him kind of your, your whole life hidden with him and you're in this wonderful divine union with him where you've been brought into a relationship with him. Here is how to live that relationship out. So it's been looking at those specifics. Now Paul broadens things out again to speak to everyone, continue steadfastly in prayer. This is not a, a random connection of things. It's, we've been looking at how uh, we relate with Jesus. We've been looking at how we relate in the church And now we're looking outwards. Now we're starting to uh, look outwards. So one commentator has 
kind of neatly summarise the passage that we just read by saying it's about... Now, let me get this right. (laughs) Speaking to God about people. That's the first thing. Speaking to God about people, in other words, prayer. And in addition, speaking to people about God. That is kind of witness to outsiders. Today, we're going to be focusing on the first of those, speaking to God about people and about prayer in particular. And really, we're going to home in on verse 2 and take some encouragements out of that. We're going to look at three things as we'll, we'll go through in a little while. First of all, let's just say prayer is one of those subjects that perhaps like no other can start to prompt in us a feeling of, oh no, I'm being told to pray. If I look back through the week, it's not been that easy. And uh, if that is the case, then that's not unusual. Don't get condemned about that. I think we're all in the same boat on this. Paul is writing to strengthen and encourage us. That, that prayer, speaking to God about people in particular, is not just a formality. Sometimes we can get into the mindset, uh, myself included, of thinking it's a, it's a formality. What's the right thing to do right now is, uh, is pray for someone. Um, and, and it's kind of a bit formal. It's like it's a bit of a formula as well. So that if I, if I put in X and Y, hopefully I'll get out Z. God will approve of me more. God approves of us anyway, but that's the way our minds can work. We're thinking, I'll, I'll try and earn some brownie points by praying for people. We'll go through the list. bit formal, a bit turgid, a bit formulaic. And so it's important at the outset today that as we get into this message... We are seeing this through a different lens. We're seeing this is not something that is just a formality, just something we ought to do, but it's something that God has given us the privilege of that is fruitful. Not formal, but fruitful. Sometimes when we we pray, it can just be a sense of just doing the right thing, rather than actually expecting something to happen or be produced as a a result. But also, we're not looking at prayer as though it were a formula, but as something that is based on friendship. We have been raised with Christ, seated with Him. Our life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. We've been joined with Christ. We've been brought into a relationship with Jesus. And that is about a friendship. So our prayers are speaking with God, talking with God conversation. It's not formula, it's not uh, ritual, it's not kind of saying um, odd little twee phrases uh, that kind of earn us brownie points. This is enjoying a friendship with God who wants to talk with us. So it starts right here then, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Immediately raises the question, well if this is based on friendship, if this is talking with God, which is all about having a relationship with him, Why is there the need to say, continue? If we have been raised with Christ, we've been joined with him, we're in this blissful, wonderful relationship, which we are, why does Paul need to write, continue steadfastly in prayer? And sometimes when we hear of other people, or uh, big heroes of the faith, we hear of their prayer life, we can immediately get kind of intimidated or feel a bit threatened. Ah, but that's not what mine is like. Our experience in some way will tell us 
that this is something that Paul does indeed need to say. But there is, it is a relationship. It is uh, living and active and um, it's real. Paul is, however, realistic. He knows, he knows a great deal about praying. He knows something. He can tell us about praying. He can tell us that he prays without ceasing. He knows something about praying in the spirit where it's not just offering up a formula of, uh, of things I ought to bring before God. It's praying in the Spirit, where the Spirit leads us. We don't always know how to pray, but the Spirit gives us words. The Spirit leads us, so it's no longer just a a human effort to say some stuff. It's God himself coming to help us that we might pray the things that he's leading us to. And it is far more dynamic than just running down a list. So Paul knows something about praying, but he knows as well that there is an element of battle for us that is involved in praying. That's why he says continue steadfastly in prayer. He knows there's a battle. He knows we've got a battle against our very flesh. And it's so easy to, to get distracted. And talking recently with someone, um, they were saying that for them, getting distracted is, um, is an issue they have to work on. And they came up with this technique. They set their alarm on their mobile phone every five minutes So when they started to pray, the alarm would go just at the point, probably, when their mind had already started to drift. And it was a reminder, ah, right, yes, I was actually praying about something. (laughs) So we've got to fight distraction, kind of sometimes coming up with things. How can I help myself to to set aside those distractions? Because we are of the flesh. So our spirit is willing to pray, willing to press into the presence of God. But actually all of us will encounter sometimes those distractions that come from the weakness that is inherent in being human, a battle against the flesh, a battle against the world. That will often present to us uh, pastimes, ways of relaxing, that appear more enjoyable. We can, as it were, switch off this and switch on the TV, and it provides us with, um, with some relaxation. And therefore we can think, well, I'll, I need to relax right now, and so I'll, I'll do that. Forgetting to realize that actually by the Spirit of God, sometimes there is nothing more relaxing, nothing more kind of upbuilding, just having some time with Him, just speaking, talking with our God. So we're in a battle against the flesh, we're in a battle against the world, we're in a battle against the devil who doesn't want us to pray. If we have a relationship with Him, He can't ultimately do anything about that, but He can might... You can try and make it as formal and as formulaic as possible. Or he can try and get us to stop altogether by whispering in our ear something that probably we all hear, which is, this isn't really worthwhile. We're used to um, kind of having to, to, to do stuff ourselves. If, if we want to get something done around this place, I'm going to have to do it myself. And so we've got that kind of attitude of self-reliance. So we think about prayer as, what is that about? Surely, surely that is just a waste of time. All stuff the enemy would just like to whisper that bit louder to distract us from a wonderful call we have in God to speak with him freely, to bring others before him and, uh, and see God break through in wonderful ways. So Paul is realistic. He knows we need to continue steadfastly in prayer. Jesus taught the same, which we see in Luke Chapter 18, he taught something 
to the effect that he wants his followers not to, um, not to give up. So it says there in Luke 18, verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, important to realize, this is a parable that we'll just spend a few moments looking at before returning to Colossians, that is of the how much more variety. So in other words, God is not comparing himself to this unjust judge. He's saying, look, this unjust judge who doesn't fear God or care about people responded to persistent petition that a helpless widow brought to him. How much more, therefore, will God, who is not a judge like that, how much more will God, who is a righteous judge, and who cares more than we can ever imagine, how much more will he hear and answer and respond to our prayers? And we so need to get hold of that. In a sense, again, I've got three points. But if you get hold of anything, please get hold of that because, <laughs> because I can associate with thinking that, um, that maybe I care about something or maybe I care about someone more than God does and so persisting in prayer is coming to God with my complaints and it's almost my complaint to him Lord I care about this situation won't you do something and that is so wrong that even just to say it just feels a bit risky just now. Because it's so missing the point. It's so missing the mark about what God is like. Um, I mean, uneasy even to say it. My experience in particular that kind of sometimes erred towards that was in the very area that, in fact, uh, Alistair touched upon earlier on. Disappointment with praying for people that I love. Disappointment in praying for people in my family who'd not come through to know Jesus and be saved. <laughs> Just bear with me a few moments. <laughs> I thought for several years, God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to intervene? Don't you realize what's going on in this person's life? In this person's life, they're far from you. When are you going to draw them to yourself? And um, it, I needed to persevere in that prayer, but I needed to understand that God cares about my family members more than I will ever, ever understand on the earth and in heaven. And so God did mercifully intervene in those situations that I was bringing through him through my teen years, 
through 20s as well, God broke in in a way that actually surprised me. Totally, in a sense, kind of caught me off guard. And so sometimes we're praying. And uh, we are aware of the now. We're aware of this very point in time. And we're saying, God, will you do something? God looks at the whole span of history that he can wonderfully do in just one moment for him. Looks at the whole span of history and says, thanks, Dan. I've heard your prayer. I have chosen that moment to intervene in that person's life. Your prayers, and other people's prayers as well, are contributing towards that. I've heard it. I've got hold of it. I care so much about them. I've chosen then to do it. And so, so important we get hold of what God is like. He knows perfect timing. In such a way also, being a sovereign God, we can't kind of guarantee that just because we've prayed something that he is going to, um, like some genie in the bottle, produce exactly what we even asked for. But we know God is a righteous judge who cares a great deal. So continue steadfastly in prayer doesn't exactly sound glamorous. doesn't sound immediately fantastic. We've got to continue steadfastly. Douche, douche, douche. I'm continuing, I'm continuing. doesn't sound glamorous, but that is exactly what someone needs to hear when they're close to giving up. And it's also exactly what someone needs to hear when God is very soon to break through. When God is about to do something, we need to continue steadfastly. So sometimes you see the football season has recently um, kicked off again. And sometimes when a match seems to be going really badly, you see the spectators, and sometimes the commentators refer to it, kind of file to the exits early. Their team seem to be um, a bit down and out. The result seems to already be uh, determined. Even though the full 90 minutes and stoppage time has not yet been played, they think, right, had enough of this. If I stick around now and they still lose the game, I've got to trudge out of this stadium with how many thousand other people. I've got to trudge to my car with all these other folks celebrating because their team won. And I'm just part of this crowd that's just going to annoy me. Uh, I get in a crowd and I just think, oh, give me space. Um, so I think, if, I'm gonna lo- if we're going to lose the game, I'd rather leave early. And so sometimes that's the kind of disappointment that can get hold of us. And we think, if this, if this ain't going to happen, I'm going to cut it out now. I don't want to go through the risk of being disappointed, so I'm going to cut my losses now. However, it's amazing how the, the best teams that... Their fitness is amazing. Their kind of tactical understanding is excellent. Their morale, their whole kind of team philosophy is so superb. They do play for the full 90 minutes and, and even beyond if it goes into extra time. And the best teams can turn a game around against the run of play in the final minute of the game or even in stoppage time. So even when all hope seems to be lost... I think it's probably something that Man U do countless times every season. They manage to turn a game around. They might go a goal down, and then they get to when the referee's about to blow the whistle. And so for us, we have the best God. 
uh, if you pardon the expression, because there is only one. Uh, but he is definitely the best. And so he is able, well able, to turn any situation around, even in stoppage time, even when so much time seems to have elapsed, even when the run of the game seems to be that the enemy's having the upper hand, God can turn it round. So let's continue steadfastly in prayer, praying for people that we care about, praying for unsaved partners, praying for family members, praying about communities that we're in, praying for revival um, in this city. We want to see God do stuff, and we can think, oh, the clock, the clock is ticking down. We've been through some times before that have been encouraging, but it's not yet materialized in the way we'd hoped. No, God is the God of sudden breakthroughs. God is the God who likes it when we persevere in prayer because he loves to intervene in such a way that turns the situation around completely. It's not down to kind of the merit of our praying. God might take us suddenly by surprise, but God is doing it. So continue steadfastly in prayer. Paul goes on to say, being watchful in it. Uh, Jesus also said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, watch and pray. Uh, For them, that was obviously very uh, literally something about the fact that they were in this garden. Jesus was praying, knowing that Judas, who had betrayed him, was going to come and bring a whole mob to arrest him. So, you know, keep your eyes open, because stuff's going to happen tonight. Watch and pray. When Paul writes to the Ephesian church, in a similar passage in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, he says there... um, and I'll just cut in at the middle of the verse really. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Um, a few long words in there, but the key one really for now, alert. Keep alert. Keep watchful. Stay, um, stay awake. Be vigilant. Keep your eyes open. Be on the lookout. All of those things are to accompany prayer. And actually praying in that way helps us to persevere. So pray with your eyes open. Now, forgive the tangent, but sometimes that is very necessary in a literal sense. When you're praying for someone who is right there in front of you, it can be very helpful, uh, sorry, not to lay a hand on very hard, but when you're praying for them, is to keep your eyes open to see actually what is happening for this person. How are they responding? How are they uh, reacting towards what God is saying because there have been occasions where such has been the, the the good intention of the praying that the eyes have been closed that someone's been seeking the Lord so affected by the spirit of God as the person being prayed for they fall over um, doesn't always happen, doesn't have to happen sometimes does happen and uh, when it does happen it's because I suppose the God of all power is wanting to, is doing something in this person, and in our weak physical frames, sometimes we're going to react to what God is doing. So, person falls to the ground, totally uncaught. I think, fantastic. They get up saying, praise the Lord, I've been healed. My leg, it's fine, but my head really hurts. <laughs> when I want to swap injuries, I will come again and be prayed for by you. Um, it is a good idea. In those kind of situations, just keep our eyes open. But for the positive reason as well, we want to see, okay, we're believing that as we pray for people, that God 
may choose that point in time to do something very special, very particular, that imparts to them strength and courage, wants to speak to them and put some stuff right on the inside. And uh, we want to keep our eyes open to what's, what's going on. So praying with our eyes open, never a bad idea. Uh, also, not just in a literal sense, but praying with our eyes open in terms of paying attention to what happens following our prayers or just paying attention to what's happening so that we know what to pray for. Now, sometimes if prayer is a formal, formulaic activity, it's just a matter of uh, an end in itself. We, we, we do it, we tick the box, quiet time complete, I can go now, um, unburdened by guilt or whatever, that's what we can sometimes think. Um, and that kind of praying is never actually, in a sense, that fussed about, hang on a minute, I want to be on the lookout. What has just happened? It's never that fussed about the results, never that fussed about how God chooses to answer that prayer. So we need to be paying attention to what, what happens. So we're getting hold of, okay, thank you, God, which is the thing we'll go on to say in a minute, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We want to be thankful. We want to be paying attention so that we can see what God is doing and to see what particularly God might be directing us to pray for. Now, sometimes, in paying that kind of attention, we need to learn to, to look a little, bit, a little bit beneath the surface how things can appear on the outside. I've been um, recently reading a book by an American couple called Lee and Leslie Strobel. And um, when they got married, Lee and Leslie Strobel, uh, they were both pretty much staunch atheists, or certainly Lee was the guy, um, quite a renowned journalist apparently in Chicago, and very, very scathing about God, about Christianity, it's just a crutch, etc. and so on. And, um, and Leslie's wife, not so, you know, a bit more indifferent, not really that fussed, and together, you know, their values was all the same. Leslie became a Christian, and they tell the story of how they suddenly found themselves in a, what they call a spiritual mismatch. That Leslie was encountering God, getting to know Jesus, having wonderful times with him, during which time her values were being changed, her priorities being changed. She's seeing stuff in the Word. Wonderful things were happening. She's getting knitted into a church. She's getting, finding new relationships there. And this was of great blessing to her. What was not of great blessing to her was how her husband, the staunch atheist, reacted. And um, uh, he would react with anger towards her, uh, very scathing. She would uh, open up the words. She'd be praying about financial crisis they faced. Jesus would just be ministering to her in her room. She sees her husband come up the sidewalk and think, right, I've got to wipe my eyes, close the Bible, tuck that away, don't mention it, because if I do, he will be angry. If I do, um, it will just cause problems. And so, She's explaining that part of the story. He's kind of saying at the time, because he did then become a Christian, but he was explaining at the time he didn't really know what to do with himself. He couldn't, he couldn't necessarily explain all the, the emotions he was finding going on inside. Something was a jealousy that his wife had just found Jesus, and so it almost seemed like he'd become less important. And uh, so he does, he's not kind of excusing his reaction, but he's kind of saying, those were some of the emotions that were going through me. I didn't know to handle this. And at the same time, my wife was growing in God, and it was like she was holding a mirror up to me, and I was seeing all was cynical, 
that was hard, that was cold, and what was sinful about myself. Now, in a sense, that then started to explain why his reactions had been as they had. So Leslie is praying for her husband and just seeing for a couple of years these difficult reactions. Now, eventually, he comes through and they're then able to kind of, in hindsight, kind of understand a bit more of what they went through. But the point was this. At the point that Leslie was praying, God really was doing some stuff in Lee's life. What she saw was the horrendous reaction that he was giving. What she witnessed firsthand was sometimes the anger outburst and so on. But actually, it was an indication that God was on the move. That God was doing stuff and God was drawing him through, taking him through a process um, whereby eventually he came through to know God. Now, sharing that illustration is not to say um, that is a guarantee for every couple where one member is saved and one member is unsaved, that both will eventually be in the kingdom of God. But it says this, it's about this, being, being watchful in it and being aware that sometimes what seems like uh, a situation getting worse can actually be indicating that underneath and deeper, God is doing something more significant that might take time to work through, but God ha- has his hand on the situation. So we want to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And Paul refers numerous times to thanksgiving in this, in this letter. That's how he starts the letter. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And it comes right through here. Now he's not just saying stuff for the sake of formality. He's not just saying, if you um, kind of put thanksgiving into the the prayer machine, out the other side will come neatly packaged exactly what you want. It's not saying this is not kind of some formal or formulaic thing. God is not a machine. We're in a relationship with him. But there's something about growing in thanksgiving and praying with thanksgiving that is ever so uh, vital for us to understand. So when Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says something similar there, kind of reading from verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And again, you can just think, well, they're just really short verses, kind of almost throwaway comments. No, they're absolutely vital. He says pray without ceasing, but it's sandwiched either side by a reference to rejoicing or giving thanks. And that is what's most going to help us to, uh, to pray in a persevering way and actually to pray in such a way where we do experience it as friendly communication with God. What's amazing is that sometimes we can be very quick to bring God in when something is going not wrong, uh, is going badly, not going very well. And could be quite quick to bring him in almost trying to hold God to account and say, God, do you realize this is going wrong? Haven't you done something? So very quick to involve God there, perhaps with a slight um, elements of, uh, of blame even. But when something goes well, it's all about us. It's all about how we, we pressed through against the odds. We came through in such and such a situation. And sometimes that's what um, God wanted to draw the... Uh, his people's attention to 
um, in the Old Testament as well. So they'd come through the wilderness. They'd been released from slavery with great mighty signs and wonders. They'd come through the wilderness and God was taking them into a new land. And it talks in um, Deuteronomy chapter 8. God says there, remember. Remember the good stuff that I've done. Up to that point, they had been very good at remembering all the difficult stuff. And they'd been very good at saying, God, where are you now? You've just led us out here to die. And uh, God was anticipating a time when stuff goes well for you, you might think you did it. When you get an answer to prayer, you might be chuffed that it was because of you. Um, Whereas actually, we need to stop. Offering thanks to God is not only about giving him what he's worthy of, and kind of us avoiding being rude for not saying thank you for stuff he's done, it also kind of puts us in the right position. It kind of recalibrates our heart, as it were. So it it positions us appropriately and reminds us, yet we are dependent on God. We're dependent on our wonderful creator, and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of our praying. When um, this lady, Leslie Strobel, again, was talking about her prayer life during that time of difficulty with her husband, she was saying, in a sense, the the desire for her husband to come through to know Jesus so dominated my prayers that it crowded out my thankfulness for the many ways God had blessed me. And isn't that the way? When we're aware of some pressing desire, some person that we're really wanting to bring before the Lord in prayer, and we want to really see into something amazing open up, And it becomes, it grows into a disappointment because we've not yet seen it. And saps all life out of us. And saps all thankfulness out of us um, in the process. And actually God wants us to enjoy our relationship with him. Talking freely with him. When anxiety is getting lifted. And where faith is kind of filling our hearts. We can genuinely thank God for the stuff that he has done. Thank God for the things that he is doing. He is doing good things. And genuinely, thank God even for what is to come. Stuff that is unseen at the moment. Faith, again, something that Alistair mentioned, faith for unanswered questions. But God, I'm going to thank you in all circumstances because I know you are a good and wonderful judge. I know you are my heavenly father. I know that we, I have a friendship with you. I can bring this before you. I know you hear my prayers. I know that you care about this more than I do. And that's why I'm bringing it to you. Thank you, God, I get to do this. I get to speak with my creator. And what this is doing is reminding us we are dependent on God. Nothing of value, as it were, happens apart from God. Everything we've been provided with, every. Every wonderful blessing is coming through him. We're dependent on him. So when we come to prayer, we can sometimes just get, just get intimidated or just get kind of feel threatened if we catch wind of someone else's really impressive prayer life. Just thank God for their prayer life, but then thank God for his relationship with you. This is not, this is not formality. God didn't save us to bring us into turgid, dull, formal praying. It would be so odd if this passage that began with, since you've been raised with Christ, never ever addressed 
us having the joy and privilege of speaking with him, of bringing people before him, and enjoying that part of our relationship with him. Not, not a formality, not a formula, but something that is fruitful. It can seem unproductive. Surely we must busy ourselves with other activities. No. No prayer prayed to God is unfruitful. Every prayer, every time we speak with God, it is worthwhile. There is no time when it is not appropriate to come before him. Now, reading some of the commentaries through on this um, subject before speaking today, apparently it was the kind of perceived wisdom in uh, Jewish thought that you should really only pray three times a day. And actually, you think of guys like Daniel in the Bible who did pray three times a day. We can think, wow. The reason for praying three times a day, so I understand, is they didn't want to weary God with their praying. And they thought that they would weary God. They thought they'd put God out. And so they had to limit it. It's totally the other way around. We weary ourselves with it. We get weary. God's saying, no, continue, continue, pray to me, be steadfast in it, because I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to intervene. I love to do it. I love to bless. I love to hear your prayers. I love to answer them. I'm with you. I know everything. I know the whole span of time and space. I know when I'm going to intervene. I know why, how. I've got it sewn up. Keep speaking to me. I love it when you speak with me. You will never weary me with your praying. It's always worthwhile. I always have an open ear to you. And so let's put that on. Let's get that attitude into our hearts. Let's get that understood. God is not this unjust judge that is saying, oh, they are coming to me again with that prayer request. No, we've got that freedom to come. We've got that freedom to bring ourselves before him. It's not about kind of saying the right things. We can just have a chat, a chat with God. So continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Band, I don't know if you want to come back up. It would be great to praise God in just a moment. Now, it is customary at this point to end a message by saying, let's pray. Um, It's not a formula. (laughs) It's not a formality. Just as pretty much every person who's come out the front has just said earlier on, It's just great to be with God. God is doing stuff. God is with us. And uh, there are times when we're just, wow, we're experiencing God and it's amazing. There are other times when we're not immediately aware that God's tangible presence is with us, but he is. So we are going to worship God. We're then going to pray together. We're then going to see what he wants to do. And we're going to enjoy spending a bit more time with him before we finish. Let's worship God. And then we'll pray.